Okay, guys, let's continue with our study in Genesis chapter 2 as we are once again dealing with our first toldoth. If you remember that we talked about that whole issue of toldoth, and basically we translate that account, or sometimes in the King James Version, you'll see that word generation. These are the generations of. But the whole idea of it is simply is that Moses is simply exploring what were what became of a particular event or in other words since we just got through talking about Genesis chapter 1 the creation of the heavens and the earth what became of the heavens and the earth and um, there was a point that I, I forgot to make in the previous video concern in verse number four and that is that in this particular section, we see the usage, verse number four, when it says, in the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. This is the first use of the coveted name of God. And it actually says Yahweh Elohim. And this is significant because in chapter one, basically all you see is Elohim or in other words, God. And this is in the beginning, God created and God did this and God said or whatever. But the point here that I'm making is that by usage of the covenant name of God, it shows an intimacy that God is having at this particular time. Or that is in the creation of man. It is not just simple, by the usage of the of the name God, by just simply saying God, what you're saying is he is the sovereign ruler and creator of all things. He is the sovereign ruler and creator of all things. And in, by the sense of being a sovereign ruler, he has the rightful authority to be simply in, in command, to tell something what to do and what to be. That idea of being in total control of all things. Okay. Now, when you see this name, Lord God, the covenant name of God, it shows God having a relationship. And that's why I used the term earlier, intimacy. So we see in verse number four, the beginning of the usage of Lord God, as we see God creating the man, we see that God is not, man is not like the rest of creation. Man is not like the world. Man is not like the animals, not like the birds, because there is an intimate relationship between God and man. Okay. All right. But anyway, so let's do our, our, our quick little recap on this. The concentration in chapters two verses four through 25 basically is in the garden of Eden. And that's why when we look at verse number five and talks about no shrub and things of that nature, which already we know that the vegetation had been in the field. It seems that the idea is there is no vegetation that has been caused to grow in this particular place in the garden in Eden or in Eden within itself. And it also talked about there was no rain. There was no rain until the time of Noah. And the earth was watered because of a mist that would come up um, over the earth. And this will provide the water that the vegetation needed. And then verse number seven, we said that how God created the man from the dust of the ground, how man was created from the very elements that he would have to interact with. 
That's why we call man a terrestrial being because man was created from the ground because that would be the place of his domain and interaction. And it was not until God breathed into man's nostril the spirit, the breath of life. And this is what animated that biomechanical flesh that God had created and man became, as it said, a living being. Then in verse number eight, we talked about how God planted that garden in Eden and that Eden was a large place, but the garden was a smaller area located, situated within Eden. And this is clearly a place. Notice it said that God himself had planted this garden and it was clearly a place where God intended for the man's service to him to be some form of worship. All right. And we also in verse number nine, we finally ended our last discussion with the two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And they basically indicated that this was Adam's test. And even though we have not given the command, we're not going to explore that now. We're going to deal with it when we get there because that's why I messed up the last time, went too far, too fast. But the whole point is those two trees being present in the garden, the tree of life. And that is, as we will see, the tree of life would perpetuate life in Adam's human form. So if he would and that would clear that would have clearly been his reward had he passed his test. He would have been given permit. And we see this in the end of the book of Revelation, where there is an invitation to come and take eat to, to eat of the tree of life. So that would have been his reward. But the testing would be do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But anyway, we'll get to all of that once we get there. All right. So now let's continue on with our teaching. Verse number 10. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden of Eden, the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havala, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The delium and the onyx stone are there. All right, so the, the Bible just simply says that there are four rivers. There was a main river coming into Eden, and it split into four main rivers. Now, we don't know that the first two, I've only mentioned Pishon, but, and the other will be Gihon. Pishon and Gihon, we don't, we no longer know where those particular rivers are. They were probably destroyed in the great flood of Noah. But anyway, the whole issue is from this Pishon, we see that there is a place where there is a lot of gold and delium and onyx, there is precious stones. This, these things are probably the gold and the things of that nature are uh, the remnants, the remnants of possibly the original Garden of Eden. That is the Garden of Eden that Satan himself once walked in. See my teaching on that in um, the origins of Satan. Okay, but anyway, let's go to verse number thirteen. The name of the second river is Gahan. It flows around the whole land of Cush. All right. And so this is basically the name of the second one, Gahan. Now, these two rivers, as we said earlier, Pishon and Gahan, we no longer know where they are. 
14. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates, the Great River. So now, the Tigris and the Euphrates River are, uh, are clearly known, and we can know exactly where that is, which tells us that the, the Garden of Eden was somewhere situated in the region of, that would make it southern Iran, northern Iraq. So in the region of Iran and Iraq, Iraq would be where the Garden of Eden was. Now, of course, the Garden of Eden was destroyed in the flood of Noah and no longer exists. But that was the area of where it was in the Middle East. So somewhere in the area of Mesopotamia, all right, in the development of the Sumerian culture. But we're not going to get into all of that. Fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So now we see God now placing the man in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now that, that, that goes to deal with the statement that I made of what man's service would be in the garden. You got to remember, all, man was to be fruitful, multiply and fill the whole world. But notice we see here the intimate expression where God is taking the man, placing him here to work in the garden. And this simply just goes to, 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 buff, to buffet the statement when I made that the, the purpose of man's service would be a spiritual service, even though man is, is physical labor. And that was the intent of God in the first place. But the idea is it is a spiritual service, even the usage of the words that are being used here. And that was to avad and shama, to avad and shama. And I don't want to get into a, a, a lot of the details, but these particular words avad and shama were, were common words that you would see. In the book of Leviticus, avad means to, to work, to work, and to serve. These were words that are used commonly in the book of Leviticus that relate to priestly service. And so therefore, what we see being intimated here is that the service, the, even the physical labor of the man, avad and shema, is, is going to be a spiritual service to the Lord, therefore making Eden a spiritual place of worship. So that, that's why we say Eden is a special place. And we see clearly, too, that Eden is a place of fellowship when God would come down and talk with the man. We see that in, in man's failure. But anyway, so the whole point here is we're getting back to 15. God put him there to cultivate and to keep the place as his service. Now we get to that great command of the man and it is the singular and only command of the man. And remember we said in the previous video of what the command actually meant and what it was. 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So now we get the great command of God. 
And as we said, and I'm referencing again the previous video, the command is simply a test and it is a test of the man's love. Once again, God could have created mankind, Adam, to the which he would have simply obeyed. But if God had created a robot, then the robot could not genuinely love. The true test of love is obedience. Now, God has already demonstrated his love to the man in all that God had given the man. And what God wants is a free will response from the man to love him freely. And so therefore God gives him a command. Remember what Jesus said again, if you do love me, show me that you love me by the keeping of my commandments. Okay. But anyway, so the prohibition comes not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is the whole point behind all of that. God wanted to tell the man what was the good. God wanted to be the sole teacher of the man, what the good and what the evil would be. Not that man would presumptuously, arrogantly take it upon himself to determine good and evil. Okay, so that's the idea of this testing. And notice in that prohibition was the, the, the penalty you would surely die. Now, some say that Adam, this was not true, but it was true. Even though Adam did die 930 years later, spiritually, the moment Adam ate and his wife, of course, the moment he ate from that, what we call the forbidden fruit, he died spiritually instantly and that's when his eyes became open and he knew evil because he died spiritually the instant that he ate therefore fulfilling what god had promised and later on the ultimate demise of his flesh he died 930 years physically okay verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this is the only time in the whole creation narrative that we have low tov, not good. And what God is simply doing here is we are seeing the picture. We're seeing the mind of God as he intends to make someone for Adam. Now, now notice when he says a helper that is suitable for a helper suitable for him it, it it basically simply means one that is a counterpart to him one who is a counterpart to him and that's what the woman as we'll see in the this creation narrative the woman will be to him she will be not only not not simply someone to to go into for him to command but one Liken as himself and equal to him, one that he himself can see and appreciate like himself. Okay, and we'll talk about other things as we get there. But here's the point in verse 18, and, and we need to see this carefully as we move into this particular section of it. 
The mind of God is what to create someone for him. So what, what is your natural anticipation? If God says it's not good and we know the whole section of one chapters one and two, all of it combined is God trying to do the good in the creation narrative. The anticipation, the expectation is create the woman since it's not okay. Then let's create the woman. But that's not what, what God does. Watch what God does. Verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a heifer suitable for him. So now what did God do? Now, 19, this is not a recreation of the animals when it says out of the ground, the Lord formed the beast. Verse 19 simply is recalling what God did in chapter one. He made all of the beasts from the ground. That's what he, God had already earlier done. Okay. And what, and the beast of the field, this is a reference here to the wild animal. And notice we see a difference. Verse number 19, beast of the field. Verse number 20, all of the cattle. So the beast are the wild animals, the animals that were not intended to be domesticated. And therefore God had to bring them to Adam. And by bringing them to Adam, it shows it is an indication of Adam's dominion and his authority. And notice again, here's a principle that I want you to see too. It is a, that we see in the Hebrew Bible too. Adam named the creatures by the naming of the creatures. God is showing Adam's. He is indicating Adam's authority. It is a demonstration of Adam's authority and notice. And here's what you need to see. It is important. The mind of God was to create the woman. He did not create. He did not immediately create the woman. He began to bring the animals to Adam so that Adam could name them. It's almost like God hit the brakes and said, stop before I do that. Let me do this first. And then the question is, well, what is the object? What is the reason, the purpose for God doing these things? And then notice again, Adam alone is doing them. Adam alone is doing them. What is the point? Adam and Eve are not naming the animals. No, only Adam names the animal. Therefore, we see there is the expression that Adam is the authority. He is God's chief authority over all things. And by the naming of the animals, it is the demonstration that Adam has the authority over the animals. It is a demonstration of what authority. Okay. But let me go on enough said about that. So he names all of the Adam in verse number 20. He names all of the cattle and these are the domesticated creatures. Okay. Then it says, but for Adam, there was not a suitable helper found. So now the purpose of that. So basically we can see two primary things, the demonstration of Adam's authority 
And notice there was not a suitable helper found. As Adam would name all of these creatures, all of their, these creatures are being brought before Adam. He is able to see that there is nothing like him. He is able to see his own uniqueness. He looks at the monkey may have certain features like me, but it's not like me. He looks at the cows. He looks at whatever the snake or whatever it is. And he notices out of all of those animals that he named, he is alone. There is nothing else in creation like him. So what did God do? But not only does God allow Adam to the demonstration of his authority, he is establishing that God makes Adam see his aloneness. He stirs up a desire within the man not to be alone. Remember what God said It's not good for the man to be alone. Let the man also see two things. He is alone and let him feel that he doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to be the only one of his kind. So therefore, when God does create something for Adam, Adam will welcome it. And that's exactly what takes place. So let's go on. So now we get into the first operation in the scripture. And it was done, of course, by God himself. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and he brought her to the man. So notice what we see. So now we see that the Lord has put Adam to sleep and he is taken. And even though it says from the rib, actually the word is he took from his side. He took from his side. OK, and it took a piece of flesh from his side. And we'll find out from verse number 23. Not only did he take of his flesh, but it also was of his bone. So it Eve was taken of flesh and bone of Adam. So Adam, while he slept, God took from him and notice he said he fashioned it. He began to shape and to mold that flesh and bone of the man into a woman. And that word that it uses here is Isha and the, that woman that it uses. And the, the Hebrew word for man is Ish and the Hebrew word for woman is Isha. All right. So you see that the relationship between the two words Isha, because why she was taken from the man. All right. All right. And another thing to, to, to talk about, too. Now, here's what's unique. So it, it warms us to talk about this a little bit. When God got ready to create the man, what did he do? He went to the ground. When God got ready to create the woman, what did he do? He went to the man. Now, clearly, God could have, why, the question you have to ask yourself is, well, why didn't he just simply do it the same way that he did in the beginning? Why didn't he just make her from the ground like he did Adam? Because God wanted there to be and a relationship and clearly there is an indication here that by going to the man what is God saying that the one two things clearly show themselves here that the woman was created for the man notice what the scripture says God said that it is not good for the man to be alone the woman was not created for herself she was created 
for the man. And we see the apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter 11 speak on this wise when he talks about the role of women in prayer in spiritual worship in the church and how Paul talks about the order of things. Number two, we can see that the woman was made from the man and, and notice in it, it cannot be denied the particular place from which the man, the woman was taken from the man. She was taken from his side. She was not taken from his foot as I've heard some say, and I think rightly say that the man should walk upon her. She was not taken from his head that she should rule over him or manipulate him, but rather she was taken from his side that she may be a companion to him. One suitable for him. Okay. And also notice too, here's something that you cannot miss. Notice just, and, and it, it's not a statement. It's not a degrading statement. It's not a statement of degrading nature whatsoever, but it simply shows God as, uh, as a, as a presenter of a wonderful gift a wonderful gift because that's exactly what this woman is to this man. She is a gift to him, but it also implies order. It also implies order. What do you mean? Notice previously as the animals were brought to the man, guess what? We also see God bringing the woman to the man. So she is presented to the man both as a gift and we see the establishment of order in the relationship. And now one of the reasons why we bring this out is because I've heard some people say that the reason why we have order, and when I say order, order in the marital relationship, that's what I'm talking about. When we get into Ephesians chapter five, when the apostle Paul says, let the wise be subject unto their own husband. And some say that this is a result. This is because of the sin nature. And this is because of the fall that we have this order being placed in the Christian relationship. That is completely wrong. And if I had to shout it to the roof, wrong, wrong, wrong. The order of the relationship between man and wife, husband and wife was found when there was no sin. It was the intentional goal of God in the first place. So when God created the woman, and when God created the marriage relationship, and this is what we see taking place in Genesis chapter two, when God presents Eve to Adam, God is actually giving the bride to her husband. He is performing the first marriage and the intent of the Lord God is for the ordered relationship that Adam is the authority over all things even Eve herself. Notice what takes place in the book, how she's taken from him, not independent of him, not made just like him, that is from the ground. And also as we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this other part too, about the naming, we'll talk about that part. By Adam, she did not choose her name. Just like Adam gave names to the animals, he gave Eve her name, 
Okay, which is a lot of women would find to be offensive in today's environment. But nevertheless, that is the case. So what is the point that I'm trying to make? It is the intention of God from the beginning that the relationship between husband and wife, man and woman be an ordered relationship with the man being the head of the wife as it is being demonstrated in creation itself. And notice again, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy, it is clear that the man was created first and then Eve. And Paul brings that point out simply to say that God did not do this for an arbitrary reason. It was a teaching lesson. But anyway, so let's get back to it because we're almost out of time. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So notice once again, uh, uh, it, and we can see an, uh, uh, a celebratory note from Adam. As note, God made him see his aloneness, feel his aloneness. And now he presents this. No doubt she probably was a beautiful woman. Beautiful woman to him, and we can see the excitement as he said, bone of my bone and flesh of He can tell she came from him. He knows, he is aware that Eve is from and of him. And so he says what? She shall be called woman. Why? Because she derives her being from man. Now, notice again the point that I made earlier when I said Adam gave her his name, Adam said what she would be called. So therefore, we see Adam having the authority over Eve. And here's the point that I want to make again. They were both in a sinless state. There was no sin. Meaning what? That this was how God wanted it to be. Let's go to verse 24. For this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And notice, man, because of this, we have the command that the man leaves the father and mother. And simply, that simply means this, that the, the relationship between a man and his parents change from subordination. A man shall no longer be subject to his parents, but the, the relationship now becomes reordered. And the primary relationship of the man changes from his father and mother now to his wife. And notice what it says. And they shall be he shall be joined, cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. The man and wife are echad, which is the Hebrew word for one. So they are no longer two, but they function as one. The intended goal of God was unity in the marriage. But unity must always have order in the relationship. Not that a woman is less than a man, but in all forms of life, there must be order. On the job, there is order. Everywhere we go, there must be order. In governments, we have some system of order because it is uh, unreasonable to think that a system can function well without government or order. 
and God himself is the one who establishes this order. All right, verse 25, and the man and his woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, verse 25 basically summarizes the end of God's creative work on chapter two, chapter two. And we kind of look at both chapter two, chapter one, the creation as a whole, chapter two, the creation of the man and woman specifically on the sixth day and the Garden of Eden. We look at that and we basically summarize all of that as chapter one, very good concerning the man and the woman. And, we, and the idea here is their spiritual state because they are in a state of holiness. They have not disobeyed God. And so therefore we see them both being naked and unashamed. Why naked? There was no need of clothing because man and the woman, neither of them have a sin nature at this time. So when Adam looked at Eve, he saw nothing wrong. It stirred up no pornographic thoughts or immoral or unclean thoughts in his mind. And so therefore there was no need of clothing, naked and unashamed. They were not ashamed in the physical expression, their nakedness concerning each other because there was no sin in their eyes. There was no evil in their heart. When they looked at one another, they were both holy in body, in spirit, in all things. All right, guys, thanks for joining me for chapter two. Let's come back and let's see, will they maintain that holiness as we talk about Genesis chapter three with the introduction of the devil.